Welcome back to Quick Bits for the week of June 12th through June 16th. We covered a number of different topics, all of them relating to murder, though, this week. It was that kind of a week with regards to Murdaugh. I guess we're talking about his civil case. Corey Richens, and again, Brian Koberger. Let's break down everything that happened this week so you can stay in the loop quickly because these were some long streams this week. I got to be honest, very long streams. I'm legal analyst Emily D. Baker. This is The Quick Bits, where I break down just the main points of the pop culture and entertainment cases I'm currently covering on YouTube and The Emily Show podcast. Let's get into it. And just like my podcast, Quick Bits is also recorded on StreamYard, which I so appreciate because I will get to see the StreamYard team when I am in California this week for VidCon. If you're at VidCon, let me know. Let's get into our topics. First, let's just get the Murdaugh and the Murdacity of the whole thing out of the way. On this week's Emily Show podcast, I covered the Bland Richter golf analogy-laden response to Alec Murdaugh's attorney's wild motion in the civil suit between Gloria Satterfield's sons and Alec Murdaugh. Alec Murdaugh had confessed judgment to them over $4 million in relation to the money that he stole when their mother died on his property, and he sued himself with insurance claims and the rest of it. He confessed that judgment before he was ever charged with murder, used it uh, in bail hearings, and we heard about it at trial. Then, not that long ago, he filed a motion through his attorney saying, hey, that confession of judgment, we don't think it's legal. Can you, Your Honor, give us relief from that and essentially yeet that confession of judgment? Well, Bland Richter took a lot of issue with that, not only filed a well, analogy-laden response that was very feisty, but also a motion for sanctions against Alec Murdaugh's attorneys, Dick and Jim. And I am not surprised that we are seeing this motion for sanctions, especially when you see the emails attached to the motions showing that the Bland Richter attorney said, what is this motion? We don't see the legal basis for this. You're going to do what you're going to do, but we're going to need to do what we're going to need to do. And the pushback between you know, Dick Harputlian and Jim Griffin and Eric Bland and Ronnie Richter in those emails where they're saying, we really don't see any legal grounds for this motion. And Dick and Jim are like, well, we do. So we're going to just go ahead with our motion and not withdraw it. I'm very interested to see what the court does with regard to the sanction motions. I don't think the court who approved the confession of judgment is now going to let the confession of judgment be withdrawn. But will there be other consequences for Alec Murdoch coming forward and saying, oh, by the way, I lied about all this stuff back then. My bad. We will see. And we now know he's being federally indicted for over 22 counts, and some of those are related to the lies in the Satterfield case. It feels like even though we are now months post-conviction with Alec Murdoch, that we will never quite be free of Alec Murdoch. Moving on to Idaho, we talked about and I covered the rest of the Koberger hearings. I split them into two parts. They were fairly long hearings with regard to the gag order. And while the court has corrected all of us that it is a non-dissemination order and finds the term gag order offensive, but it is a non-dissemination order and then cameras in the courtroom. 
The first part of those motions was with the Gonsalves family attorney. The second set of those motions was with the media attorney and a very interesting witness from the defense that was a person who was trying to quantify what people were talking about on the internet. It was very confusing testimony. It was over Zoom, so it was hard to hear. We didn't understand what the data set was. And it seemed that the court wasn't really going to take that much into consideration anyway, which he told the attorneys before this witness testified. We saw some very random Twitter accounts cited in these hearings, and we were like, oh, great. We're back. We're back to this kind of testimony where it's like, well, there's a word cloud of things people are saying on the internet that might be related to this case. So that was something else. The judge has not yet ruled about cameras in the courtroom or about the non-dissemination order. I don't think the judge is going to remove the non-dissemination order. I think, if anything, the judge will clarify that order more. That's what he keeps suggesting to the parties. And I don't think he was persuaded by the media's argument that they can't report as fulsomely as they would like on this case because he's basically like, um, y'all reporting on this case a whole lot. Well, there's a lot going on in the public record, to be fair. I'm interested to see what's done with cameras in the courtroom because I think there's a lot of ways to handle cameras in the courtroom that address some of the concerns of the defense that aren't just keeping cameras out of the courtroom. I'm very interested to see what the court does here. And if they get rid of cameras out of this courtroom, I am going to be very frustrated. But my rants about cameras in the courtroom are in all of my live streams from last week. Talking about Corey Richens, this is a case that has been added to the docket that I will be following. This case is a Utah mom accused of killing her husband via poisoning, and she was arrested while she was really doing publicity for a children's book that she wrote about how to handle grief. A lot of information came out at her bail hearing, and the court denied bail. I went through that entire hearing through the sound weirdness of the first part of the hearing into a bit better second part of the hearing. Numerous witnesses were called during the bail hearing. That happens in Utah because of the type of crime she is charged with and because of the fact that this can be a capital case. And the prosecution has not yet decided if this will be a death penalty case or not. It is way too early in the process for those determinations. She is not automatically given a presumption of bail. In fact, she is presumed to not be entitled to bail. So the defense is asking for bail to be set and the prosecution has to prove that there's enough evidence in the case that a jury could convict Corey Richens of what she is accused of before it even gets to a probable cause hearing like a preliminary hearing. So that is why there were witnesses called at this bail hearing to show the court, look, this is the evidence we have against her, not all of it, but a fair bit of it, which included evidence that Corey Richards had purchased fentanyl and her husband had five times a lethal dose of fentanyl in his system when he died. This was not considered to be an accidental overdose. There was no fentanyl found in the home at the time that EMS and police arrived after Corey Richards called the police. There were Google searches that were discussed by the expert with regard to cell phones, including things like luxury prisons for rich people and how to permanently delete messages off of an iPhone remotely because the police already had her iPhone in custody when she was making those searches. 
things like how do police recover deleted messages? And we heard that there were deleted messages off the phone. We also heard from a forensic accountant talking about the number of life insurance policies, six that Eric Richens had out on him. The fact that Corey Richens' business was in a substantial amount of financial difficulty, that checks were bouncing and things like this. Very interesting testimony. And when the six life insurance policies came up, the judge's face went, oh, six? You said six? So that was very interesting testimony. Then there was also a victim impact statement by the deceased's sister who had a lot to say about Corey Richens. It's very clear that the sister believes that Corey Richens killed her brother and talked about Corey Richens trying to break into Eric Richens' safe after he died. And when she was confronted by the sister, she attacked the sister, and it took four people to get Corey Richens off of the sister during that confrontation. The sister went through the things that Corey Richens was doing after the murder and why the sister believed Corey Richens was a danger to herself and to others, including the fact that the children, the three young boys, had life insurance policies taken out on them as well. This case will go to preliminary hearing. That date has not been set yet. And of course, a trial date will be set sometime after it. The court made it clear that they don't want this case to linger because Corey Richens is going to be in custody for the duration of this case. But there was also a hot mic moment at the end of the hearing that has been clipped down around the internet a bit. The camera work was really zoomed in hyper, super close to Corey Richens at counsel table while she was talking to her attorney. That is the kind of thing when the court hearing is over and the attorney is having a, a conversation with their client, those are privileged conversations. So for camera work to zoom in super close and try to pick up what is being said in those conversations are going to lend to arguments from other attorneys that this is why cameras need to be substantially restrained in the courtroom. Because when the public's in the courtroom, it's very obvious if a member of the public is leaning into the defense attorney space when they're talking to their client in court, um, especially when they're out at counsel table with their heads down, whispering to one another. Those are conversations that aren't meant to be heard. And Defense counsel needs to be able to have those opportunities to speak to their client. So when you have these hyper-zoomed-in camera actions on the defense, other attorneys are going to use that to argue why cameras should not be allowed in the courtroom or need to be tightly restrained. So I was disappointed to see that happen um, because they were talking about the length of the case and how long is this going to take? And Corey Richens is saying to her attorney, I don't think I can make it as they're talking about this case could take some time. It is a capital murder case at this point. So I am sure I will have more thoughts going forward, but it was something interesting to see how unfettered the cameras were. I think we'll see them more restrained, like we saw in the Paltrow case. And this courtroom is clearly in the same courthouse. I don't know if it's the exact same courtroom Paltrow was in, but it looks exactly the same as the Gwyneth Paltrow courtroom. So we will see as this case progresses what will be dealt with with regard to media and streaming and cameras in the courtroom because apparently that's a topic we now cover a lot because it is going to continue to be discussed. Let me know your thoughts on all the cases down below. You're all caught up. Well, I'm at VidCon this week, so you can follow me around socials. And if you're a member on my long-form channel, The Emily D. Baker, there will be behind-the-scenes VidCon content 
for the members over there. So I will see you next. Well, no, I will not see you next week. There will not be a quick bits because there will be nothing to summarize because I'm taking a week off. So I will be back in a few weeks. Have a good one. Thanks for being a law nerd. For deep dives into the stories that I covered here, you can find them on my YouTube channel at The Emily D. Baker and The Emily Show Podcast. I stream every Tuesday and Thursday. The podcast goes live on Wednesdays. And if you want more Law Nerd community, come join us at lawnerdsunite.com.